We've been looking together over the last few uh, weeks at the statements that Jesus made, I am statements, and we remember that uh, he was declaring his deity, his godliness, his godness, by saying I am. I am goes back to the, uh, the burning bush when Moses stood before God and said, who are you? And he said, I am who I am. And when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, and so on, he was saying, I am God to his people. He was reminding his disciples and those around him exactly who he is. But he also wanted to describe some of his characteristics, some of his attributes, and give them both a challenge and also encouragement at the same time. And we've been journeying together through John's Gospel, who records the I am sayings, all seven of them. I am the bread of life, he says in chapter 6. I am the light of the world in chapter 8. I am the gate or the door in chapter chapter 10. Shortly followed by I am the good shepherd in chapter 10 as well. And then at Easter we looked at chapter 11 where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And also in chapter 14 he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And we come to the last of the seven I am statements Today, where he says, I am the true vine. So as we look at it together, let's pray and ask God's blessing and God's help and the promise of the Spirit to help us as we read God's Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have promised your Spirit to help us to understand your Word, not just mentally, not just in our minds, but also in our hearts and in our lives. You have promised to show us and reveal to us your truth. And so Lord, today we are claiming that promise and we are relying on your Spirit to come and speak to each one of us today. You know what you want to say to us, your children. And so Lord, our hearts are open, our ears are open, our minds are open to hear from you as we read your word together. Speak to us, we pray. Teach us in the name of Christ. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Now I come at this with some kind of uh, degree of trepidation because I'm not a great gardener myself. I can cut the grass. I even do the edging bits as well with those big long shear things. I can do that, make it look kind of nice. But that's about where my limit stops. And then after that I have to rely on my wife who tells me what to chop down and box up and put in the brown bin and what to leave alone because I have no idea whether it's a flower or a weed or it should be there or it shouldn't be there and so Jesus talking about gardening and vine growing and that is a bit beyond my abilities uh, and my expertise but Jesus is using something here that was common to the people around them to explain truth about who he is And about who we are. And he gives us today both a challenge, but also an encouragement as well. And we'll see that as we read together from John 15. Now Jesus has just finished in the upstairs room. This is just before he goes into Gethsemane. So he's there, he's in the upstairs room, he's been teaching his disciples as they've had the Passover meal together. He's washed their feet and and gone through all of that, had the wine... Judas has left to go and betray Jesus. And so he has the 11 disciples left. 
And it says at the end of chapter 14 here, it says Jesus finished talking to them and he says, come now, let us leave. Right at the end of 14. And so they leave the upstairs room and you can imagine this is Jesus talking to his 11 disciples as they're en route to Gethsemane. And I imagine that Jesus was walking along and he saw the vineyard there or he saw a vine tree growing there and he stopped by it and thought to himself, now here's a good opportunity to teach some more. Some of the things the disciples desperately need to hang on to because they, he knew, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew about the betrayal, he knew about going through that, that mock of a trial and the beating and going up to Golgotha and his disciples seeing him hanging there. He knew about his disciples running away in his hour of need. He knew about them not staying awake in Gethsemane. He knew about that time when he would be gone from them and they would be scattered and not knowing quite what's going on and not really understanding until Pentecost had happened all those days later. When suddenly the light starts to dawn on them, exactly what Jesus was talking about and Jesus' plan and purpose. It's easy for us to look back because we see the end. We've got the whole of the Gospels and Acts and Paul's letters and so on, the New Testament. And so we know what's going to happen. The disciples at this point don't know. They're there in the midst of it. And you imagine Jesus walking along and he sees this vine growing and he stops there and he looks at the fruit and he looks at the vine tree and he says to them these words. He says, chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's stop there for a moment. First of all, Jesus says, I am the true vine. So he's looking at the vine and he's saying, look at me guys, I am the real vine, the genuine article. So much today is imitation, isn't it? You can go into any clothes store and it will have the right label on it, but within about a week it falls apart. You stick it in the laundry machine and then suddenly all the arms fall off and the, or the legs fall off and you think, man, that's why it was so cheap. That's why I got this great deal. And you've come out of the store and you go, look, I got a genuine, you know, whatever. I don't know what the famous brands are. But you go in there and you get it and you go, this is the real article. And then you stick it in the laundry machine you realise... It wasn't such a good deal after all. You know, everything is about image today. It's about the facade that we give. It's about what we see on the outside. How many of you have bought something because it really looked good and it was absolute rubbish? I've been there. I've done that. You know, 
You thought, this is a great deal, it looked fantastic. But then when you actually put it to the use, one or two times you use it, and then you have to throw it out because it's absolute rubbish. You know, like people keep saying to me, well, years ago we bought a bread maker. And I said to my wife, Enoch, I said, if we're going to get a bread maker, let's get one right at the top of the range. Yeah, it's going to cost like £100 for a loaf of bread, right? The first bread. But we still have that bread maker years and years after we first bought it. Loads of my friends said, oh yeah, I bought a bread maker. And after about three months, it, it went wrong again. It, it didn't work. But if you buy quality, if you buy something that said it's going to do a good job and you invest in it and you spend the money, often you get the return in the long run. But today we're all about what looks good. What looks good on the outside. I think I showed a video a number of months ago. They did a test or a, a, a trial thing in the United States about this guy that was living on the streets. Did you, do you remember seeing that? And you remember that when he put a suit on and he went out, they asked him to stand in front of this hotel for, for like 15 minutes and ask for money. Do you remember? And he stood there, dressed in his street clothes, asked for money, got nothing. And people were saying, don't, don't bother me, just leave me alone, I know what you want. They wouldn't even let him speak sometimes. But then they took him off, they, they got his hair cut at a, at a barber shop, they bought him a nice suit and he stood out there in his suit, looked like a businessman and he said, oh I'm sorry, you know, I, I just need a couple of pounds for a coffee and I don't seem to have any change and people are just giving him money. He ended up with like, I don't know what it was, $20, $30 in the same amount of time. Why? Because the image of him spoke to people about what they thought was going on inside. When he looked like somebody that had just been living on the streets, they made assumptions in their head about who he was as an individual, and therefore he's not worth giving any money or time and attention to. When he looked like a businessman, they automatically assumed he was a businessman, and therefore he is worth my time and attention and my money. We see so much on the outside. I don't know if you remember back to the Olympics in, uh, in Beijing in 2008. There was this little girl that sang the national anthem with such gusto for the Chinese. And she stood there, this little eight-year-old girl, and she sang and she became a national hit or international hit. Because she sang so, uh, so perfectly and she sang with such passion the national anthem. And then it turned out a little bit later on that she actually was miming the whole thing and not really singing at all. And what had happened was that they'd done this national kind of uh, a trial to find the best singer to sing their national anthem at the opening ceremony in Beijing. And this other girl had won the national trial because she had such a perfect, beautiful voice. And the day of the, uh, the opening ceremony, or the day before, when there was the dress rehearsal... She stood up there and she sang, and they realized that she had crooked front teeth. And the Chinese authorities said, we're not allowing any little girl, eight-year-old girl, to go up there with crooked front teeth. There's over a billion people watching around the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to choose this other girl to come up and mime it, because her voice is not so good, because she looks just perfect. And we'll, get, we'll record this other girl's voice and we'll just play it through the system and no one will ever know. Except they did know. 
And when it was questioned later, they said, well, what's the problem? They both got involved in the opening ceremony. And we wanted to portray an image of perfection and beauty. And so we we chose the most perfect looking girl and the most perfect singing voice girl. And we married the two together. What's the big deal? But our, our society is like that. That we look at the facade, we look at the outside. But Jesus says, don't look there. I am the true vine, he says. He means he's genuine. It means what you see on the outside is what you will see on the inside. There is no facade with Jesus. He's saying out of all those other images around, over all those other things that you see, what you see on the outside is the same as what you're going to see on the inside. You can open me up, you can read me like a book and you won't find anything that is incongruous. I wish that was true for each one of us, don't you? That what we see is exactly what we get. But it's not true for many of us, is it? We hide things away. We say, no, they're not going to see that. I'm not going to let them see that in me. I don't want to show that part of my life. That was not the same with Jesus Christ. He was open and he was vulnerable. And he says, therefore he has the right to say, I am the true, the true vine. Let me tell you about me. And you know then that what you see, what, you, what I'm going to tell you is honest, is true, is open, is something that you can rest your life on. Because there's no facade. You're not going to be shocked all of a sudden. It's not going to crumble when that facade crumbles. Because it's solid all the way through. It's foundational. And Jesus wanted to tell his disciples that because he knew what they were going to go through. He knew that they needed something solid on which to rest their lives because everything else was going to be chaos around them. Everything else they were going to question. But they couldn't question the person, the ministry, the word of Jesus. That's what they had to hang on to when they were going through Gethsemane and the cross and, and after the cross when they thought Jesus had gone before he returned. And it's the same for you and me. Because that's what we need to hang on to when we go through difficult times, when there's chaos around us. We know the character of Jesus Christ, the character of God, is honest, is full of integrity, is something we can stake our life on, and it will not fail. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father, he says, is the gardener. Now, as I said, I don't know much about gardening, but I know this, that the gardener is responsible for the garden. It just doesn't do it on itself. I wish they would develop a self-weeding, self-lawn-mowing garden. That would be perfect. I remember I went into a florist once when I was working in government, and I, I said to this florist, I went in there and I said, I want a plant that I can put in my, in my office at work. And they're going, oh, fine. What kind of plant do you want? And I said, well, something that's low maintenance, because I'm not there the whole time. And to be honest, I'm not the greatest gardener in the world, so therefore, I kind of neglect plants, to be honest. I said, I may as well be up front with them. So I said, you know, I'll probably end up feeding it the rest uh, coffee, because, you know, your coffee goes cold, because you get busy at work, and then you've got somewhere you've got to tip it out, so I'm going to tip it in the flower pot, because it's nice and handy there. So it needs to survive off a regular diet of caffeine, cold coffee. Because that's really all it's going to get. 
And this guy was looking at me. And I, and I said, you know, sometimes I'm not in the office for a week, so it needs to survive like that. So it needs to be kind of hardy. And, and he finally said to me, have you thought about plastic? <laughs> I said, I don't want a plastic. What are you talking about? I want a real plant. And he said, yeah, but you need to look after real plants. Plastic, you can just leave them. They look quite good. I bought a rubber plant in the end. <laughs> Figure that would work. And it seemed to do all right. Mind you, I, I repotted it a few, uh, few years after I was there and the thing just took off and started growing. It's like suddenly given it proper soil for the first time in its life. But yet, the Father is the gardener, which means that God is responsible for you and me. Isn't that wonderful? That you are not responsible. We have certain responsibilities that will come onto, but the Father is the one who is responsible for you and me. He is the gardener. We don't garden ourselves. He is going to do it. And how does he do that? Well, it says here, he cuts off every branch in Christ that bears no fruit. We're the branches. While every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. So he does two things. One is he cuts off the parts of us that are not bearing any fruit. Now, the whole aim of growing things is for it to bear fruit. Either flowers to look beautiful, or if it's an apple tree like I got in the back garden, they need to bear fruit. And I judge that apple tree based on the crop that it gives. I don't judge on it on how many branches it's got. I don't judge it on how much blossom there is, if there is no fruit from it. I judge that apple tree every year depending on the amount of apples that it gives me. It can look fantastic and green in the summer. If there's no apples, it's rubbish. I may as well just get rid of it. What's the point in having an apple tree if you don't get a single apple from it? What's the point in having a beautiful plant unless you get a beautiful flower from it? What's the point in... in Planting a whole load of strawberries if you don't get a single strawberry, and so on. And so Jesus is saying here, the Father looks at us and he he prunes us and nurtures us. So anything that's dead in our lives, he's going to throw away. Get rid of it. He's going to say, David, you see that bit? That bit's dead. Get rid of it. You're just carrying it. It's just using energy that should be focused elsewhere in your life. You want to be on fire for me? You want to be radical for Jesus Christ? Then we need to get rid of and allow the Father to come in and prune off the parts of our lives that are just pointless, useless. We might like them because they're nice looking branches, but they're dead. They're not doing anything. And so we need to allow Him to get rid of them. And He says, and the parts that are beautiful, the parts that are alive and giving fruit... He needs to clean them up, nurture them, clip them back. One of my most loathed jobs in the garden is pruning that apple tree. Because I don't know why it's in January, February, March time. It's freezing outside. And, and you know it's there. And you're just looking at it after Christmas thinking, I've got to go prune that apple tree. It's the time of year. If I want to have a good harvest, then I need to go prune it. And so you're waiting for the least cold day that you can find where it's not pouring with rain because I know I have to go up a ladder, risk life and limb in that apple tree to try and chop off all those straggly long things growth from last year and try and get it down to some kind of shape. 
can't stand doing it. But it's important that it's done. Otherwise, this year, we're not going to get any fruit from it. We're not going to be able to prune it back. If we don't prune it back, it's not going to produce more fruit this year. It's just going to be getting worse and worse as the years go on. And Jesus says it's the same way with us. He needs to prune us, constantly keep on pruning us. And if we allow him to do that, and we do that as it says in verse 3, through his word. If we allow his word to come into us, as we read his word, as we take his word into us, then it's through his word that he challenges us, convicts us. The Spirit of God enlivens those words to us and says, David, see this, see my word? Your life doesn't measure up to this, what I'm asking you to do. These are the bits I need to prune. And I say, Lord, take them away. Take that away from my life. David, you see this bit? You're doing what I'm asking you to do, but I need to clean it up. I need to hone it a little bit more. I need to perfect it more within you. And I say, Lord, come and do that work within me so that I may bear the fruit that you want me to bear. That I may be as you want me to be. And in John 16, in the very next chapter, Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit as just that. He says in verse 8, He will convict the world of guilt regarding to sin and righteousness and judgment. So in anything where we go outside of God's word, the Spirit will come and use the word of God to convict us and say, these things are dead. David, get rid of them. But also it says, but when the Spirit comes in verse 13, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's the pruning. That's the, 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 the part where he says that we're going to be even more fruitful because he's trimming us clean and helping us to grow. And he said, I'm going to do that for you because I'm going to teach you the truth and make it more real in your life. Now the key to this is those two little words in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me. In me, he says, that bears no fruit. While every branch in me that does bear fruit, he trims clean. So they'll be even more fruitful. You see, there are conditions for bearing fruit. And the first one is, is just that. We have to be attached to the vine. Now, there are people that are attached to church that are not attached to the vine. There are people that are attached to religion that aren't attached to the vine. The only way you can bear fruit is to be attached to Jesus Christ. That is it. That is the sole thing that you need to do. And so if we're not bearing fruit, if we don't see that fruit in our lives, the first question we need to ask ourselves is, am I really attached? Am I really part of the vine? Here's Jesus talking to his disciples. One of his disciples was not attached. He'd followed him for three years. He'd seen everything. He'd done everything the other disciples had done. But the difference was that Judas was not attached to the vine. He didn't have that same connection with Jesus Christ. And when the going got tough, when it really mattered, Judas went his own way because he wasn't attached. He said... No, I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense to me. Because he didn't have that living relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to make sure we are attached to the vine. We cannot bear fruit, the fruit of God, unless we have that attachment. Unless we have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Why do I keep talking about Jesus all the time? Because it is so vital. You can't do anything unless it comes out of that relationship. Because we're not the source, he is the source. All these I am statements is about that connection with Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is saying, build that relationship, focus on that relationship, make that relationship number one in your life. Don't allow anything else to come in the way. Not any other relationship, not any other job, not any other thing of this world to get in the way. That relationship with Jesus has to be number one. The others fall into place when you put that central. You put that central, everything else will make sense. Everything else will be in its correct position. But you take that out, you put something else there, and everything will be chaotic and a mess. And there are so many people in churches today. Yeah, they love, they love God. I don't deny that. But I'm not sure they have Jesus Christ as central in their lives. Because when, when you see them, when you hear them, they're not asking the right kind of questions. They don't ask, what would Jesus do? What does Jesus want of me? What does Jesus want of his church? What you hear is what they want, what they think that should happen, what they think should be done. We, they, they, they end up taking that role of being the vine rather than being the branch. And it's not a role for us to take. So we need to ask ourselves, are we attached to the vine? And, and it's both a challenge, but it's also a great comfort too. Because when you are attached, then you recognize that, hey, I'm not the vine. I'm just a branch. I'm just, I'm just a conduit through which God's Spirit is going to flow. The sap, the strength, the source is going to flow through me. I don't have to manufacture it. It's there already. I just have to be willing to play my part. Verse 4, he says, firstly, are we attached? Secondly, are we going to remain in the vine? Remain in me, verse 4, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remaining means in that close fellowship with Jesus Christ. When you have a tough time, when you're going through difficulty, where do you get your strength from? Where do you turn, first of all? Because here he's saying, remain in me, stay in me. Don't just be attached. That's not enough. You can be attached, but then you don't necessarily kind of build that relationship, that closeness, that fellowship with Jesus Christ. He's saying, I can give you everything you need, but you have to open up the channels and let me flow in through you. The strength is there, the source is there. If you're attached to the vine... But he always gives us an opportunity. He gives us the freedom, in a sense, to close those taps off. If we want to. Or to have them just a little bit open, in case it gets scary. What he's saying here is, be open to me, fully. Fully open. He says it a bit further on in verse 5. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If, verse 6... Anyone does not remain in me. Verse 7, if you remain in me. He keeps going on. Verse 10, if you obey. 
Verse 14, if you do what I command. He's saying, I've given you the option. I give you the choice. But the choice is you can have, be in the vine, but have a completely dry existence. You can close those taps off. You'll die, and then I'll cut you off and throw you out. You can have them just a tiny little bit open, if you like. But you're not going to see the fruit. It's going to be just trickling through. Maybe just enough to keep you going in life. But you won't see the fullness. You won't see the fruit in all its fullness that God wants to produce. And you won't have the strength and the sustenance from the, from the roots of that vine flowing through you when you need it the most. So where are you today in Christ? Are you getting deeper and deeper into Him? Is your relationship growing and growing and growing? Can you look back last year and say, you know what? Lord, you have taken me from a place there so much deeper into you now. I know you so much better than, than I did last year. Because you have done all these things in me that, that our relationship is closer because I've shared more of myself with you. I've understood more of you in my life too. Jesus said these are the conditions for bearing fruit. If you want fruit in your life, this is what you need to do. And that is the purpose of the vine, he says. In verse 2 he says, the purpose is to make fruit and be even more fruitful. And in verse 8 he says, the fruit is to the Father's glory. If you want to glorify God, then you need to be bearing fruit for Him. Because you can't glorify Him, you can't lift up God, you can't be a witness to Jesus Christ and to our Heavenly Father unless you're bearing fruit, the fruit that comes from Him. So we have a responsibility in this uh, to allow Him to grow that fruit within us. We can't grow it ourselves. As hard as you might try, you can't grow the fruit of God. The fruit of God comes as you allow the Spirit of God to flow in you and through you. And then you will see the fruit in your life and in the life of others. And what is that fruit? What are the results if we do this? Well, look at what it says. In verse 7, If you remain in me, so if you open this tap fully open, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Do you believe that? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. We sang about it earlier on. Nothing is impossible. Think about the biggest challenge that you have in your life right now. Jesus' promise here to his disciples, his promise to us, is that you can ask whatever you wish in that challenge that you're facing in your life, and it will be given to you. Jesus is saying, you can ask, it's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. Not, I may give it to you. Not, it may happen. But just ask. Now, that's if you remain in the vine. If you have those taps wide open. In other words, if you are walking in the way that God wants you to walk. If you are attached in the way that He wants you to be attached. If you are open to allow the Spirit of God to flow in you and through you in the way that He wants to flow in you and through you. Then because your mind, your heart, your life will be in, just in sync with God. 
And so you will know what he wants you to ask. You won't be asking for the things that are selfish. Not asking for the things that are going to help you in your life in the way you think they should be. You're going to be asking for the things that God wants to give to you to bless you so that you might be a blessing to others. And then, and only then, do you ask whatever you wish and you know without any doubt at all it's going to be given to you. Because you're asking in, a, in accordance with the direction and the will of God. That's how you know. That's how it's, it, it works through you. We don't just have a, a, a blank slate where Jesus says, just ask me anything. I don't care whether it's in the Father's will or not. Just ask me and I can do it like that. Be nice sometimes if that was true, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be pretty much chaos because we would be asking completely from our own selfishness. Lord, I want an A in this paper. Thank you very much. I'm not going to do any work. But you said, ask, and you will receive. Lord, I want an A. I did that when I was going through my O levels. Lord, I want to become a mining engineer. That's what I wanted to do. Couldn't think of anything else. Don't really like darkness and below ground, but anyway, can't really think what I was thinking of, but it was, yeah, I'm going to become a mining engineer. I didn't know what else to do. Lord hadn't told me to become a minister by then. So I thought, I'm going to do this. So I sat there. I can remember sitting there with my friend and saying, well, if this is in the will of God, then he'll make it happen. So I don't really need to study. Well, I got what I deserved, which wasn't quite what I'd hoped for and what I'd prayed for. But it certainly was what I deserved. And honestly, as I look back, I actually failed to get into mining college by one grade. And I thank God for that grade I didn't get. Because if I'd have got in there, I'd have trained as a mining engineer, and I'd have gone off and earned pots of money down some hole somewhere. And I probably wouldn't have been here today, doing the will of God, doing what he wanted me to do. But he knew. He knew. But when we are walking and journeying with Christ, when we are in his will, under his banner, connected to the vine, then it's a different story. So when you pray, firstly ask God and say, Lord, show me your will. Lord, this is, a, this is a situation, this is a challenge that I'm facing. Show me your will in this, that I may pray right. And then pray with the confidence that he will give you what you're asking. Because you're praying in accordance with the vine and the gardener. And you know that the fruit will then come. Ask, he says. And so we will have an unhindered prayer life. That's one of the fruits. And people will say to us, how come your prayers are being answered and mine are not being answered? Well, because I'm in the vine. Maybe you need to look at where you are. I, have you got those taps open? Are you praying in the way that God wants you to pray? And if you don't know, if you're genuinely asking, sometimes I ask God, I say, well, what should we pray about this? Lord, how should I pray about this situation? Sometimes God shows me. He says, pray like this, David. Sometimes he says, it's not for you to know. But in those cases, then I have the freedom to pray how I feel I should pray in that situation. 
I say, Lord, because you haven't shown me, or until you show me, this is what I believe is your will, so that's how I'm going to pray. And that's perfectly acceptable too. Because we're there on our knees under the, under the Lordship of Christ, under his authority, saying, Lord, you're going to show me if you really want me to know. If you don't, this is how I'm going to pray, because this is what I believe I should be praying like. But be open to him. Let him speak to you and use you and work through you. But he carries on. Look at verse 9. As my father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. The second thing that we see as the fruit of God is that kind of overwhelming sense of love. If you obey his commands, in other words, if you stay attached to the vine, if you open those channels to allow the, the, the sap of the vine, the source of the vine to flow through you, if you do what he asks you to do, then you will be overwhelmed with the love of Christ. Why did Jesus know his father would never forsake him? Because he obeyed his father right to the end. He continues to obey his Father. And as we obey Jesus Christ and obey the Father and the Spirit of God and those promptings within us, so we experience through that the love of Jesus Christ. You cannot have love if you're disobedient. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you are disobedient to the commands of Christ, the love of Christ, by converse, starts shrinking within us. So we have to remain in Him, remain in His commands. Do what He asks you to do. Be who He wants you to be. And then we will receive the abundance of the love of Christ. And part of that is making Christ number one in our lives again. If you put Christ first, if you love something or someone, you put them first in your life. Remember when you were, if you've been out dating? Do you remember those days? We, we were in uh, doing youth ministry in Canada years ago. There were six of us. Four of us were married couples. The other two, single, male and female, man and woman, fell in love. Completely useless to the rest of us. They would come to meetings and just stare at one another, just like, oh. They would sit there on youth nights, just staring at each other. There was chaos reigning all around. They were oblivious to the whole thing. They're just staring into each other's eyes. They later got married. They're still married uh, missionaries out in, um, in Asia. But they were absolutely useless. They may well not turned up at all, to be honest. They were just two bodies. That was it. They, were st- they, were, they came together, staring at one another. They left, staring at one another. They never spoke to the rest of us. They never spoke to any of the youth. They were completely and utterly useless. I mean, being Christians, we still thank them for their help. But it was, it was pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. But they were in love. And that's what love does. Love makes you pathetic to everything else. My definition of love. 
But just as those two were in love with one another, that is the kind of love that we should have for Jesus Christ. Because that's the love He has for you and me. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You know, when you have those eyes on Christ like that, when you love Christ like that, then you recognize His love for you, which is even more overwhelming. Then everything else fits into place again. You're not completely useless to everybody else. But you just are overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ. And when you're overwhelmed by that love, you can face anything. Greater love has no one than he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus says, just a little bit later in this chapter. Why? Because you would do anything. You would go anywhere. You would, you would even lay your life down because of your love of Jesus Christ. And many of our brothers and sisters in the world today are doing just that. They're there in countries where they are laying their lives down, being murdered and butchered by others. Because they refuse, because the love that they have for Jesus Christ is so overwhelming. When everything else is stripped away, they will not renounce him. They will not forget about him. They say, how can I? I'm in a love relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm willing to die for my saviour. And I was reading just the other day in the news that there are thousands of people coming to know Jesus because of their witness that they have. Because they refuse to lay down their love for Christ. They'll lay their life down and go to the grave loving Jesus Christ. And that kind of love, that kind of commitment, that kind of willingness to be, to be part of the vine with those taps wide open, allowing the love of Christ to flow in them and through them to produce that kind of fruit is being used by God as a witness to many, many non-believers and many of other faiths who are turning to Jesus Christ because they've never seen anything like it. That is the kind of fruit that Jesus wants through you and me. That unending love that we have for Christ that he is number one in our lives, that I love him above everybody else, everything else. And look in verse 11, the third kind of fruit. We have a prayer life that just allows God to use us in bringing his miracles into our world. We have a love life that shows the love that we have and the passion we have for Christ. Verse 11, he says, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. We have a joy within us. Joy is that sense within us, in the core of who we are, that cannot be shaken. It's that worship, that singing praises to God. Be thankful in all situations. Happiness comes when we are happy, when we're going through nice things, when we're going through nice times. But joy is not dependent upon the circumstance around us. You can be just as joyful going through a really tough time as you can being on a mountaintop where everything is beautiful sunshine. I was driving last week through the mountains in Canada. It's beautiful. Started off in Vancouver, beautiful sunshine. 
mountain tops covered in snow. It was so picturesque. It was so beautiful. I was no, I won't even say what I was trying to do because that's illegal. So, uh, but I wanted to take lots of pictures while I was driving. And if somebody was sitting next to me, and I'd ask them, just just take a video of the whole journey. It was just so gorgeous. The mountains, the lakes, everything you see. It was beautiful. And then I was driving along and I had some worship music on and I was singing away because I was in the car on my own and nobody else could hear me. So I'm singing and praising God saying, this is just perfect, Lord. This is beautiful. And as I started to climb up the mountains on this beautiful highway with nothing else on it, it was fantastic. It was just like being in heaven. And then all of a sudden, I was in this bank of snow. And I said, where did that come from? And the car started sliding all over the road because the snow was just piling it down. And I'm going, whoa, I didn't bank on this. What's going on? Where's the sunshine gone? I, I didn't call for snow. I'm not used to driving in snow anymore. We don't have snow in London. What's this? And part of me was like going, oh my goodness, this is just going to ruin everything. And the other part of me was like, just sing. Keep singing. Keep worshipping. Keep being with Christ. Don't let the circumstances around you and the fact that the car's sliding, you now got to slow down and you're driving along and instead of going to get there in, in the next couple of hours, it's probably going to take you a lot longer because you have to drive behind the snow plow as it opens up the road in front of you. Just, you can either stress in that situation and squash the joy within you or you can allow that joy just to come forward and say, Lord... You've given me extra time on this road because now I have to drive slower. And actually, you know what? It's just as beautiful as it was down below. It's a different kind of beauty. Now I'm driving in the snow and it's beautiful. Lord, protect me so I don't slide off down some ravine somewhere. But Lord, we want to thank you and praise you. And so you turn the music up and you sing even louder. And that joy within you just starts flowing through in even greater amounts. And you keep on praising God and worshipping God. And that joy keeps on bubbling up because you're in His presence. And it doesn't matter whether it's sunshine outside and beautiful trees and lakes or you're surrounded by snow and blizzard and you can't see more than a car's length in front of you. The joy is still there because you're with Christ sitting in that car worshipping him and adoring him. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know what? My joy is going to be in you. Doesn't matter whether you see me on the cross, my joy is still going to be in me. Doesn't matter whether you see me and they take the body and they lay it in the grave, my joy is going to be in you and your joy is still going to be complete. It doesn't matter whether you see that Easter morning and you think, what have they done with the body? My joy is still going to be in you and your joy is still going to be complete. It's going to be no different when you see me physically again when I come back to you. My joy is still going to be in you and your joy is still going to be complete. Because only you can rob yourself of the joy that Christ has placed within you. It's there. And he wants that joy to just come bursting forth in your life. An uncommon joy. It's not a joy from circumstance. It's a joy from a relationship with Jesus Christ being connected to the vine. Stay connected, and that joy will continue to be within you, regardless of whatever happens around you. Whether you're in the sunshine, or whether you're in the blizzards of life, 
That joy is still there. And lastly this. He says you're going to bear much fruit. The fruit is going to be that prayer life. The fruit is going to be that love, that overwhelming love. That joy that shines forward and people will look at you and say, how can that person still be worshipping God, even in these circumstances? That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Except when you know that that joy is there and it's bubbling up and you can't contain it, regardless of situations. And he says this, you're going to see the fruits of obedience in your life. Look in verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. You'll see, people will see you being obedient above everything else to Christ. You know, as, as believers, as a church, that's the number one thing. Just be obedient to Him. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, what do you want us to do today as a church? Lord, where are you taking us? Help us to be obedient to you. Because the blessings and the fruit only come through obedience. You can't manufacture fruit. It doesn't work. It's when you strip everything away and you just say, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you. Full stop. And then we will see the fruit of God in our lives and in his church. You'll see the love that we've shared. Love that comes through sacrifice. My command, verse 12, is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than one laid down his life for his friends. You'll see love in sacrificial places. Now we won't have to lay down our lives, probably. But what he's saying is love in, in circumstances that cause you hassle. Love in those places where you don't want to go. Love when you're tired. And somebody phones you up and you know that God is saying, go, go see them. And you're going, Lord, I'm so tired and I've got this tomorrow and that tomorrow. And he's saying, David, I'm asking you to go and show my love in that situation. And it's being obedient in that and saying, Lord, because you're saying so, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to go. Phone that person up. Be an encouragement to them. Lord, I'm busy. I've got so many other things I need to do. Phone them, David. And you phone them, and you are obedient to Him. Even when, for your own self, in your own way, you think it's, it's just that, another hassle. Lord, why? Why are you doing this? I've got enough on my plate. He says, love. Love through obedience. Even when it requires sacrifice, because sacrificial love is the only kind of love there really is. Love doesn't show itself when it's convenient to us, does it? Love is when you go out of your way for someone else. When you, when you do something that is inconvenient to you, that's when real love is shown. When you go and help someone, go the extra mile, you do something unexpected, you are obedient to Christ. And lastly, he says, verse 15, I, I no longer call you servants, Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. What's this fruit he's talking about? It's the great commission and the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
married together with the Great Commission to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's our Master's business. That's what He's asked us to go and do. That's why He calls us friends. Because He says, you know what I want you to do? You know the fruit that I want? Fruit that's going to genuinely last? It's one of the most beautiful things if you ever are involved in the process where God has chosen you to, at that moment to bring someone else into the kingdom of God. It's so amazing. It's so inspiring. It's so humbling at the same time because you know that that person will be with you for eternity. And God has chosen to use you in that moment, to flow through you as part of His vine into bringing in another branch into that vineyard. Christ wants to encourage us today. Are you going through a hard time? Sometimes we do in life. Sometimes life is a real challenge, but if we're connected to the vine, He will see us through. If we open those taps and allow Him to come into us, He will give us everything we need. He will give us the strength we need. He will give us the way forward that we need. And He will journey with us. Because that's His responsibility. The Father is the gardener. The Father is the one that will make a way for us. The Father is the one that will hone us and perfect us so that we will bear the fruit for Him. And if you don't see that fruit in your life, ask yourself... Am I really, really connected? Or maybe I'm connected, maybe I was connected, but actually what I've done is I've closed the taps off. I've said, I'm going to do things my way. There are things I want to do, Lord, in my life. Yeah, I'll I'll stay connected, but, but I don't really want to go what you want to go. I don't really want to allow myself to be open to your leading. I want to lead myself. Thanks very much. Nice offer, but no thanks. Christ is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you do that, what will happen is over time you will wither away. You will wither and you will die. And then you're thrown out. Then what good are you? He wants you to open those taps this morning. To say, Lord, let me be so open to you. That every fruit that you want to grow in me, every fruit that you want to hang from the branches that is me, will, will, be, will be there in abundance. For other people's blessing. For other people to see. For other people to come and, and pick that, that bit of love from you that they need in their lives. That joy from you that they need in, that lives, in their lives. That, that answer to prayer from you that they need in their lives. That that... That discipleship, that that challenge in their lives, that peeling away of the things that are resisting them to coming to know you, that they need in their lives. That you will use the fruit that is hanging on my branches, because you have placed it there, because I opened the tap, you will use that for your glory, for the Father's glory. That's what he wants to do through you and through me. Are you connected? Are you allowing God to flow through you today? Because he wants to bear so much fruit through you and through this church for the Father's glory. Let us pray.
Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this encouragement to us today. That if we're going through a difficult time in our lives, if we're we're feeling dry inside, all we need to do is to open that tap a little bit more. That we need to just pull it open, Lord, and you will promise as the gardener to flow into us. To give us everything that we need. It's not our responsibility. You're the gardener. You're the one that's going to make the fruit. We just need to allow you to flow into us. And then the fruit is just going to be growing. It will be automatic. But Lord, so often, we have to confess, we close that off. We close it off because we get busy doing our own things. We close it off because we're busy with our own ideas and our own thoughts. And we say, yeah, I'll I'll do that on Sunday, I'll sing about it on Sunday, but on Monday, the world comes crashing back in and, and we're just busy. And we're trying and struggling in our own strength. Instead of opening that valve and saying, Lord, you, you work in this situation. You accomplish your purpose in this situation. You do whatever you want to do in this situation. Let me just be open to you so that you can grow so much fruit that my, that my branches start aching under the weight. That you need to come and prop them up because there's so much fruit there. Blessing other people. Being used by you to bring love and joy and peace and kindness and faithfulness into other people's lives. Being used by you to bring them to know you. Drawing them into your presence through the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this encouragement. That you have promised that you are the farmer, you are the gardener that you are the one that will be growing within us. May we be passionate for you. And Lord, if we don't know you this morning, if we're wondering where our fruit has gone, convict us. Clean us. Take away from us anything that is dead in our lives. Lord, this morning we give you permission. Take that out of my life. I don't want it, Lord. I don't need to carry any more baggage than I have to. It's heavy. I don't want it. Cut it off from me. And then prune the rest of it, Lord, so that it will bear much, much fruit for your glory. For we thank you and we praise you because we can trust in you, for you are the true vine. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.